Good morning, everyone. Um, I always hate it when I get like such a like, hyped up introduction because I feel like it sets expectation way here and I'm all the way back here. So just before I start speaking, as Paul said, my name is Luto and um, I've got the great privilege of leading uh, youth at Olive Tree Church down in Florida Road. I always say that like this is not Olive Tree Church, but Florida Road. And so um, that's been a journey. That's been exciting. Um, but before us, please may I have some water. So I'm going to, like this happens and I address these rules all the time if you've been down there is that I'm nervous so I speak fast and I need you guys, like someone who's brave to just keep saying water when I start like really clicking and licking my lips. I'm going to try not to finish this. I'm also not feeling very great. But anyways, that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, the most important thing I'm going to ask you, it's very early in the morning, I know it's hard to be energized and all the rest of that stuff, and it's hard to engage with, especially with a young person. One lady very honestly told Ross that when I got up to speak two weeks ago, she was like, oh, what's this light he going to teach me? And so uh, Ross says that people don't listen to you until you're 30, and they don't believe you until you're 40. So for the sake of this message, I'm 40 years old. <laughs> Just <laughs> please listen. <laughs> but in reality, I'm turning 25 tomorrow, so... Very excited. I've been telling my girlfriend and my friends, just don't be distracted by Valentine's Day. Don't spend any of your money. Just keep, keep your eyes on Monday. <laughs> yeah, so that's exciting. But anyways, I'm going to... I don't know how much time I have, but I'm going to start... In case I haven't met some of you, because I was here... Like, it feels like just yesterday. But anyways, I'm from the Eastern Cape by birth. It's like quite a weird story. I come from the Eastern Cape... And then at around six or seven years old, I moved to Port Edward down on the lower south coast. Uh, and then I finished primary school there. And then I went to high school here in Durban. I was at DHS. And so I've been through like this weird and wonderful journey. I'm going to tell you a story that actually doesn't matter at all, but I just <laughs> wanted to tell it. So I, like, I really enjoyed the Eastern Cape when I was there. I was in the village when I was in the Eastern Cape. And so we spent all our time at our grandfather's house, like chasing cows and all the rest of this like, fun stuff for age between, I'm guessing, 4 and 12 years old, when you still enjoy being outside and running around and stuff like that. And then we went back this holiday, um, and I, so I wanted to relieve this whole thing of like, so I walked everywhere, it's really in the bush, like you drive 50 kilometers on dirt road to get to where I come from in the Bundus, and I, so I wanted to relive this whole experience, so I took a walk <laughs> into like the places we used to play, and, and after walking about 4 kilometers, it was so hot, and I was so far from anywhere that I started sending messages and making calls. Like, guys, I'm, I'm down, dropping pins, like, if I go missing, started getting a headache, all that kind of stuff. So I, regret, I regretted that. And then the second thing is that a while later, we had to catch a bull. And so this bull had a long rope attached to it, and it took off, running into the yard. Now Indiana Jones and me, the 12-year-old and me, came back. I was like, yes, and I chased this thing. And I was worried about picking up the rope, but I picked it up eventually, and the bull stopped. And then it sort of got tangled in some shrubs and turned around and faced me. And it was fun until that point. And then my cousin yelled, don't run, don't run. <laughs> but I had this rope turned, and this bull's head faced at me like this. So I ran. <laughs> and my pants tore, like, all the way down here in the process. Because it was, like, in a valley, in a garden that's not, like, really an, a garden. But anyways... So that was just like a fun story that I remember from, well, not remember, that I experienced now while trying to get back some of the Eastern Cape experiences of my childhood. Um, yeah, I won in the end. I caught the bull again. This time it didn't chase me. 
Um, but anyways, let's speak about gospel community. <laughs> um, courageous community, I'm so sorry. So I'm going to be speaking today about courageous community. And this specific sermon, um, Paul has already kind of touched on it. So if you recognize some of the tones in it, like repetition is good as far as I'm concerned. But I'm going to obviously bring my heart with the personal revelation that I've had about this and like the way I've worked through it. And I just want to add something to this. that gospel, uh, Courageous community is gospel-centered and rooted in love. So if we could catch those two things, courageous community is centered in the gospel and rooted in love. That's the whole thing we're going to look at today. And so we have to address the gospel first. I was speaking to some guys at DHS, and I was like asking them that question because I was preparing for this. And so I was like, guys, what's the gospel? And I got all sorts of crazy answers, but the best answer I got was that it's a type of music. And for a long time, I understood the gospel to be the same thing. It's either it's a Bible or it's a type of music, the way I understood it, but the gospel is actually, like very simply put, and I'm sure like being under the great theologian Paul Taylor, he would have told you that it means the good news, specifically with regards to the revelation of, or birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so the gospel, simply put, is the good news. And so then the next logical question is, well, why is it good news? And so that's the journey we're going to try to go on, and then I'm going to unpack that a little bit, and then we're going to get to where we're going with why it's so important to be uh, centered in the gospel and rooted in love. So we're going to start right at the beginning, and if I want to explain the good news thing, uh, I I don't know another way to do it. I don't know another way to do it, except to start right back at the beginning. And so I'm a very simple-minded person, and and when when I... when I imagine things, when I think things, I'm, I'm like, I'm a, I'm a romantic thinker. And so, not in that way, not like, hey, but I, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I just got a, like, a very simple, like, anyways. <laughs> so, this is so fun so far. So, anyways, I picture the world and I, I go into, like, the universe, the galaxies. If you've watched Planet Earth, I love Planet Earth. I watch it. I love, like, uh, I think his name is David Attenborough. I, I could just listen to him forever as he just tells me about, like, the life of a lizard trying to run from the sand onto the beach. It's just, it's amazing to me. And I love Planet Earth. I used to be blown away by the stuff Louis, Louis Giglio used to teach about the cosmos and all the rest of stuff. But I look at the stuff. I go, like, this ever-expanding, massive universe, so beautiful, so incredible, so, like, yeah, so dangerous and so wild and stuff. But the thing about the universe or the galaxy as we know it and have seen it as far as I can see is that it's, it's balanced. Everything works. It may not be like in perfect order, but everything works. We don't have like, uh, what is Milky Way? No, Milky Way galaxy. We don't have the Milky Way galaxy. I always confuse those two. Trying to bump into some other galaxy and like star, like suns and stuff trying to like blow each other out and stuff like that. It's, it's massive and it's wild, but the thing about it is that it works. It's like so balanced and, and I go like, I believe it when God says, it, when, when the Bible says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth because I look at it, it's good and he named it good and it's, it, it's exactly what it looks like. It's good, it per, it's perfect, it works. And then I come down to good old planet earth and again I look at it and in its natural state, it's good and it's perfect and it works and so I believe it when God says he called it good, it's good, it's perfect, and it works. Any vegans in the room? Okay, so, so I can sell some vegan jokes. But <laughs> just taking. But anyway, so there's this perfect 
good working world. And if you look at it, I think it's called symbiosis or something like that. And all the rest of that stuff is that the, 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 the world is, like as, not as we know it, but the world in its natural state is in a perfect state of symbiosis. Everything serves everything else. And so the easy way to look at it is that like the grass, no, the grass doesn't eat anything, but then the cow eats the grass and then we eat the cow and then the vegan gets bummed. It, and that cycle goes on and on and Simba is addressed as the circle of life. And it works. And so I believe it when God says he created the earth and he called it good. I look at that stuff and it's so balanced and so perfect and it works. Nothing over, nothing under. And everything serves everything else. <laughs> to the smallest and the biggest atom and creature in creation. But then you come down one more level and you get to the good old human beings. <laughs> good old human beings. Eh? And then things go... They go right. I was going to say left, but I don't know. I'm left-handed, so right is the wrong way. So then things go that way, and, and things don't work anymore. And so, I, again, I look at this, and I go, in all of creation, in all of the heavens and the earth, the world, the universes, all of that which we know, and all established life, only one thing goes against the grain of everything working for the good of everything else, and that's human beings. And then I have to say, something must have happened. And so then I'm led to believe, I may not know the semantics because I know those guys weren't writing a history thesis or a science breakdown when they wrote the creation story. But there's a deep, deep truth in the thing that happened to human beings at the fall, and I believe that. I believe that there was a serpent in the garden that lied to creation and said, you will become like God even though they were like God, distorted the truth just a little bit. And they believed that lie. And what it actually meant is that you can decide good and evil on your own terms like God. Since then, we've been apart from God trying to d decide good and evil on our own terms. I think it's called subjective moral reasoning. That's what it is. And so subjective moral reasoning is what's good for me, what's good for mine, is what I'm going to do, is what I'm going to deem to be right. And so obviously that's going to vary from the Chinese are going to fish because they believe that's what's good for their people. And the Indians are going to keep building coal mines because that's what's going to build them from third world to first world. And South Africans are going to keep doing things the way they do them because that's what they believe is good for them. And each to their own, deciding good and evil on their own terms. And the world is breaking because of just human beings. And so we're not very good people, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make. We've fallen. We've, we've moved away. And the thing, this is sin because we think of sin as this... this Bad boy analogy, like, oh no, you're bad. The thing about sin is that it's missing the mark. It's an archery term that refers to a mark. And that mark is God's holy standard that we were made with in the beginning. As we move from that objective moral standard to a subjective moral standard, we move away from God's standard and we miss the mark. We sin. That's what sin is. And so the scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned, we've all missed the mark, we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's why I had to take it to the beginning. And you have to understand this before you move on to trying to understand the gospel. You have to understand the lack where you fall short. A well-known uh, author and... I uh, don't know what else I'd call him. He's a lot of names, but you know Jordan Peterson, I'm sure. He, he says it like this. He says, good and evil run down the middle of every human heart. And the first thing you're supposed to do is to win that battle on your own territory. That's a difficult thing to do because it means you have to recognize yourself as a perpetrator of great evil. And that is what you are. That's a terrible thing for people to learn. I mean, you look at the 20th century and you think, well, who brought in the horrors of the communist system or the horrors of the Nazi system? And the answer is people just like you. 
That's the answer. And if you don't understand that, and you think that answer is wrong, you're not very wise. And so I'm not going to force that down your throat, but I would challenge you to go and investigate that because I've investigated it. And the more I get to know myself, the more I tend to agree with this is that I'm not as great as I think I am. A lot of us like to look, divide the world into good and evil and put ourselves on the good side and point fingers at other people. I mean, like I get so fed up with vegans telling me what to do about meat and they're wearing Nikes. I get so upset. <laughs> that just means go investigate how Nikes are made and I don't think you'll think you're as good as you are for not eating meat. That's just me. No, sorry vegans. That was, that was my last stand. <laughs> that was the last stab at you. I'm going to move on. But we've all fallen short. We've all, missed a, we've all missed the mark. And here's where the good news begins because there's this thing called the Bible Projects on YouTube and they said like this. They say the Bible is a unified story that points to the person of Jesus. So the Bible is one story, a collection of books over thousands of years that makes one story that points to the person of Jesus. And just before Stephen is stoned in Acts 7, he tells that story. And so if you want to read it for yourself, he puts it really briefly in a verse and he just goes, this is how it happened. And he puts it all together until the point of Jesus, who you killed. And so it's, it's an incredible story. And the thing about it is that the central theme of this whole Bible is Jesus. He's the, he's the middle thing. If you take away Jesus, the whole Bible falls flat on itself. Then it's just another self-help book. It's just another 12 rules for life. It needs the person of Jesus. The thing about Jesus is, here's the gospel again in the verses, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but have everlasting life. And that's the gospel in one place. For God so loved the, God loved the world. God loved me and you so much. I, I, I think of the story of a treasure in a field, and we always looked at it as we'd find this treasure and we'd go away and sell everything we had. But that's, like, that's illogical, because if you found a treasure, you just take the treasure. The same is true of God, though, is that he found this treasure. He went away, gave away everything he had. Jesus, on a cross, to have the whole world back. And that he could work the treasure out of it. And that's the gospel is that God died. Jesus sent his, I mean, God sent his son, Jesus, to the world as a sacrifice. That humble lamb for the whole world. For God so loved the whole world that he sent his son to die. And another thing I want you to catch is that for God so loved. The motive was love. And so despite our lack, God loved us and he had a plan to redeem us from the beginning. And that plan was Jesus. Before the foundations of the earth, he had a plan to get us back to himself. He knew, I don't think he was surprised when creation had the thing that happened to them, but he had a plan in the person of Jesus to redeem it back to itself. And it's been in action since the beginning of time. It says in 1 John 2 verse 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I love that it's not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. It means you are not included from this prom- I mean, excluded from this promise. Everyone and anyone has got a part in the promise of atonement from sins through the blood of Jesus. Not just for me, not just for you, but also for the whole world. The gospel goes beyond just this room or any other church room. In dying for our sins, Christ took on himself that lack that we had in the beginning, the thing that stood between us and God. And so that we can now come the way we are into the presence of God. Because so, understand that the thing we lost is community with God in the beginning because of the fall. God can't be around sin. Jesus comes and he bridges that gap. He becomes the, the stand-in for our sin so that we could walk confidently. We could enter the gates of heaven with thanksgiving in our hearts. We could enter his courts with praise. 
Not his, but the father's. Romans 3 verse, verse 24 says this, and just before that actually 23 is where it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, and all are justified freely. <laughs> justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ. And in Romans 5 verse 8, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But I want you to understand again that the motive was love. <laughs> The motive was, has, and always will be love. I looked through the whole Old Testament and my mind is constant, consistently blown by God's acts of love and the, and the character that, and the, 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 the heart that God demonstrates toward people. His love, I, I read the book of Hosea, it blows my mind. When he says, go marry a prostitute to a prophet and the prophet does it and then the prostitute cheats and runs away and he says, go get her back, pay the price and, and, and marry her again. And he does it and he says, now go tell my people that that's what I'll do for them. Later on in Hosea, he goes on to say, how can I forsake you, Ephraim? How can I give you up? His compassion wells up within him. He's, he's led by compassion not to give us judgment but to come after our hearts because he loves us. And we see story and story upon story of himself saying, I love even in the Old Testament, if you can find love in the Old Testament, it has to make you like shiver. And I can find example after example of God just loving people in the Old Testament. David speaking in Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your great love. Jeepers, what, what did David know about God? That he could appeal to his love. I've lost my place. I just wanted you to understand that the motive of this whole thing is love. God, driven by love, did everything that he did. I think it's 1 John 4 something. Again, it says that this is love, not that, I mean, that God would lay down his life for us, that he would send his son to lay down his life for us. It's, I'm paraphrasing really badly. But it was out of love that he did everything that he did. And I need you to catch that. I need you to understand that. God is driven, motivated by love. Paul understood this lack that I was speaking about, and this is what led him to say when he realized the love and understood the revelation of the gospel. He says this in 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus must, might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor, glory, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He's going, I was a terrible person. He was on his way to murder Christians when he was stopped by Jesus. But I encountered Christ and Christ came after me because he loved me so much that he was willing to use me so that I could be a window to the rest of the world of his goodness towards us. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. He goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 2 verse, verse 2 because this is what happens when the gospel gets into you. He says, I made a decision to know nothing else while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. The gospel got so deeply into Paul that that's the only thing he wanted to know. The only thing he wanted to profess about. I was speaking to Rick yesterday 
And we're just discussing the thing of a good life or good gifts. And the thing is that when the gospel got into the disciples, they'd heard that God said they could ask for anything in his name. And if they ask for good things, he's not going to give them snakes. But they still, 11 or 10 out of the 12, died martyrs' deaths. And one killed himself. They had a completely changed idea of what was good after the gospel had gotten into their hearts. They'd completely sold out and decided to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. They weren't interested in having a nice house and a nice car and good things anymore. They were interested in taking this good news to the rest of the world, even if it meant getting them killed, because that's what happens when the gospel gets into you. So anyways, the gospel can change your life, and I think it's, it's just for you to give it sanction in your life, just really start to investigate. I always say that it's very interesting that Israel, he, the, the, the nation of Israel was named after Jacob, who had his name Jacob and then was named Israel, which means he who wrestled with God. And I believe that our, life is, our lives as Christians, as people searching for God even, is to wrestle with God and try to understand more and more of him. It says, seek the truth and you'll find it, and the truth will set you free, and the truth is God. And so this is the attitude we need to come at this with, is to constantly be chasing after the truth, constantly be chasing after more and more of God, constantly be trying to understand more and more of the gospel. Because in doing that, we get closer to God, we get to understand more of Him, He shows His face more and more to us. Anyways, I've lost my place again. (laughs) But the gospel can change lives, it leads to change lives, but what does this look like? And again, it's in one sentence, John 13 verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. There's the, the, the action of the gospel. This is how we act on the gospel. And this is love. It says this about love. In two places, first when Jesus is addressed by the Pharisees trying to challenge him on the law and they say, what's the most important law of the commandments? And he says, one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. And the second is like it, to love the neighbor as you love yourself. And the second time they ask him the same thing or the second interpretation, he says the same thing and finishes it off with the rest or all the laws and the rest of the commandments rest on these two. Which means love is the central theme of God's heart. Love is the most important thing to God according to Jesus. And then in 1 Corinthians 13, goes on Paul, Paul again knowing the same thing goes you can have all the gifts you can have the gift to preach great you can have interpretation of tongues you can give yourself over to sacrifice or to death so that you can boast but if you don't have love you've got nothing and you've gained nothing from that whole experience he goes on to finish that verse by saying now these three remain hope faith and love and the greatest of these is love love is the most important thing I believe it's who God is in fact, it does say that in 1 John 4, again, it says, if you do not know love, you do not know God, because God is love. And so this is the action cause to get the first part, a new commandment I give to you, love one another. We get that sometimes, like, okay, I'm just going to be a good person, I'm going to love people out of my own strength. No, read on. Love one another as I have loved you. We need to go back to the beginning to understand how God has loved us in order to love people from a rich place, from a place that, gives, that brings life. As I have loved you. And that was love demonstrated by God that he laid down his life for us while we were still sinners, while we were still not deserving of it. 
goes on to state some characteristics of love just before he says the greatest of these is love. And he goes, love is patient, love is kind, love is slow to anger, quick to forgive, and uh, I can't think of all eight verses. You go read it for yourself. And that goes like, that's, quite, like, that's some tough requirements. That's a difficult thing to do. But th- this kind of love requires courage. And this is where courageous community comes back. And this kind of love that the gospel requires us to love with requires a tremendous amount of courage. And this is the thing about courage. Is that courage isn't the absence of fear. It's the ability to do the right thing despite it. And so now having moved to Port Edward and the South Coast and all that, I came into a lot of white friends that do crazy white people things. <laughs> and so... On plenty of occasions, I've found myself standing on like the edge of a cliff, looking down, and my heart is in my throat, and I'm scared, and I'm, I'm like, why, did, how did I get, let these people talk me into this kind of stuff? I'll be in the middle of the ocean, and like on a stick, and I'm like, ah, how did I get into this situation? And so, in those moments, it's not that I'm not afraid that I do the things that I do. I'm afraid, but it's the decision to act despite those. And it's the same thing for more serious things about fear. Because courage is not that you're fearless. I think being fearless is just being crazy, in my opinion. But being courageous is having fear and doing the right thing, the noble thing, despite it. Being able to act nobly, righteously, despite what fear might be saying. And that's the, only the Holy Spirit can lead you to that place. Only the Holy Spirit can, can be with you in that place to, to help you walk it out properly. So us as Christians in a courageous community, we don't, we don't ignore the reality of the world. We don't say this is not happening and this is not real. We don't have our heads in the sand. We acknowledge the reality. We go, life is suffering, tainted with malevolence. It sucks. Things aren't necessarily good. And they may not be for a long time. Things happen to people who don't deserve them to happen and things happen to good people. Despite that, we act not based on the fear around us, but the Holy Spirit within us. That's the power of the gospel. That's the thing that should define a courageous Christian community. Not that we're not afraid, we're afraid, but we, we act nobly despite that fear. We do the right thing despite that fear. And obviously this sounds like a bunch of great ideas that are hard to act on at the moment, but I've got a couple of examples. Obviously I haven't, I haven't lived very long. So, like who am I? I'm just going to use the experiences that, I've, that have happened just over the past three weeks. And so obviously I lead the youth, and at that stage, the things that people fight about the most, or every fight is usually rooted in pride, rooted in what someone made you look like in front of a girl. And so... I came to church the week before youth was back. Early bells, this guy comes to me and he's like, Luto, look what he said to me. And obviously this guy had left his girlfriend with this guy and then he made some moves and the girl told the guy. and ah. So messages were exchanged, fights were threatened, it was happening after church, we're going to meet up, we're going to box. And so... I had to just, like, I, I trapped these guys. Obviously, they both came, and, like, everyone was hyped up for a fight. And I trapped them and got them into kind of the room and sat them down together. 
And I understand that like, the fear in this situation is that you've already said so much, and it's true of most situations. You've already said so much, and so many people already know so much about what's expected to happen. You're a teenage boy with your pride on the line where a younger boy has done something to offend you, and you've got all the rights in the world to punch him in the face. So I sit them down and go, guys, like, bro, if you did nothing wrong, then you're right and you're justified to, to when I hit this guy in the face. And the same for you, bro. If he was hitting on your girlfriend and all the rest of that stuff, like if I was in your shoes, you're right and you're justified. You've got every right to punch him in the face. But he had a cross on his chest and I said, but you believe this thing. If you really believe this, the thing about this cross on your chest, this challenges you to do things differently in this moment. And this is how we, we not just avoid danger, but this is how we change the world. And it starts with small things like that. And so we spoke about it, like how are we going to bring the gospel into this little moment? At the end of it, they, did, they couldn't talk at first and their eyes were watering and then they, they knew what they had to do. Everyone was so disappointed when they came out of the room walking together because <laughs> everyone loves a good fight on a Sunday morning, especially when there's load shedding. No? But anyways, and so like that was disappointing for everyone else, but it was good for them. And then a more serious case, again, involving a teenager, and now his ex-girlfriend, and this one had said this and that. The parents had got involved. Some nasty things were said again. And he comes to me in the morning. He wants validation to go, I'm right for saying what I said. Like, please just, like, look. Look what they said to me. Look what they did to me. And he tried to explain. Again, he didn't expect that I was going to say, bro, you're right. You're cool. But now we're, we're Christian. We're supposed to do things differently so that a different outcome comes from this. Not the easy thing, but the brave thing. And so he, like it took a while, but that, the Sunday after that, he had spoken to me like on Tuesday. The Sunday after that, he comes to me in the morning, he's like, bro, I did what you told me to do. He sent, he'd sent the SMS, he mustered up the courage, and before he wanted to send the SMS with still some undertones of, I'm right, and uh, I'm still justified, but I'm sorry. Instead, he sent a really brave message just going, I'm not even worried about the jacket anymore. Um, this and this is, a, I'm so sorry for the way I acted. It wasn't okay. Sorry how I spoke to you. Please would you forgive me? And they said the same thing back to him. An adult, 40 years old, is apologizing to a 16-year-old kid. And like that makes me emotional because that's the gospel in action. Like that's what courageous community is supposed to do. And it applies for the, like, I, I can't speak to businesses, this businessmen that are afraid or people that have had everything taken from them or being threatened of stuff being taken away from them. But I can say that in that same situation, the only thing that's going to change it is that if you keep trying the thing that's always been tried, which is hate or responding to fear, nothing's going to change. But if you let the gospel in and you go, God, how do you want me to deal with this? And please be with me while I do it. You're going to get something else from there. Kanye West says, as I'm quoting Kanye West. But if you want the world to move forward, try love. And so that's what a courageous community is. is some people that, that are not responding to fear, but respond in courage to the things that are scary by doing the right thing despite it. And I don't know what your experiences are. I don't know what you might be fighting through right now. I'm, but I so believe in this gospel. I so believe in this Jesus. I so believe in his Holy Spirit that I challenge you and encourage you to Trust him, to believe in him, to get you through the thing and to put your fear at his feet and ask him to replace it with the courage. And as a community, get around each other and actually encourage each other in that direction. Not just because, not through the easy things, but the real difficult t- things, the, the tests in life, the things that are not, not easy. 
It's very easy to forgive when it's your sister for stealing your chocolate or something like silly like that. But it's very hard when you've been offended by someone who's cheated you out of business or done something that's untoward, where you feel justified and right to do the thing that you're thinking of doing. And then just an ending. I've probably gone over time, but you'll forgive me. Paul ends this like this. He says, don't be fooled. You foolish Galatians, how dare you start something in the spirit and hope to finish it alone? Because at some stage in this, you're going to do the courageous community thing. You're going to walk boldly and you're going to grow as a Christian, but you get to a place where you think, I should have it figured out by now. I should be able to do it by now. I shouldn't be messing up anymore. All the rest of that stuff. And that stuff is not of God. What you begin in the spirit, you finish in the spirit. You can never, ever fall out of the love of God. You can never fall out of His grace. You can never fall out of His forgiveness. And if anyone tells you there's anything else you can do to add or gain favor from God, it's not true. He died once and for all, completely and thoroughly, so that you and I could be saved forever. Start this thing with God. Run it with God and finish it with God. That's, I guess that's my parting shot. Can we pray? Father, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you so much for the plan you've had in place since the beginning to redeem us back to yourself because of that love, Jesus. And I just pray now that um, through the sacrifice of your son, we'd receive a fresh pouring out of your spirit, Jesus, to, to see this gospel, to understand it, to internalize and for it to start to work in our hearts and in our lives and to bring real change. Jesus, I just pray that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but also doers of it. Even in the difficult times, Jesus, I just pray that you'd strengthen this community and all the many communities that exist within it, Jesus, so that they may bring life and life in abundance to any situation and environment that we find ourselves in. We love you so much, and we lift everything up to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well done, Lutz. If you... Um just humor me. I think there are two groups of people here who might need to do a little bit of business with God while the rest go and grab coffee. Um, love, love requires two things. One is that you set yourself free from the bitterness that you're busy hurting yourself with. Um, and I'm just convinced because I'm totally fair and square in that category. There is someone this last week that I need to, if I'm going to love them properly, I don't just get to write them off because they're clearly in the wrong. I need to go and sit with them and go, wow, that hurt when you did that. And that made me feel like this when you did that. But I want to understand where you're coming from because you're worth more to me than being right. And I think there's some people here who have been hurt or have been disappointed by the way others have treated them, churches have treated them, whoever has treated you. And you're totally in the right to go, well, you're, essentially you're dead to me now. Yeah, we'll be polite to one another. Yeah, we'll go through the motions. But that little seed of bitterness not only is that the opposite of love, which means you're not treating them the way God treated you, which means you're allowing a little bit of hell to remain on earth when your job is to bring heaven on earth. But despite all of those big heavy things, you're just allowing a source of pain into your own life. People get sick because of bitterness. People have struggles in their life because of bitterness. If you're going to allow bitterness to remain in your life, then none of this wonderful heaven come down stuff we've been singing about is going to happen in that area because you have decided that un Instead of allowing the gracious judge to be in charge of that, you're in charge of that. And how well does anything go when a human is in charge of it? So I think for some of you, there's some forgiveness, some releasing of bitterness that needs to happen today. Don't put it off. It's not for tomorrow. It's for today. 
And then there are others of us where love requires radical generosity. And I think there's some of us who are being stingy. Probably many of us who are being stingy. Like, well, I'll give what I can afford. I'll give the amount of my time or the amount of my emotion or the amount of the space in my heart to the people that there'll be some return. Um, but those folks are just too hard to love. Or that is just too much to give. Um, and stinginess is not a characteristic that you will still have when you're in heaven. God is not stingy. His people are not stingy. Uh, and it's love that motivates that recklessness. And I don't know what area that generosity might need to flow into. Uh, but if you're in either of those camps, or if you're honest enough to admit you're probably in both of those camps, uh, then I'd love to pray with you now uh, that you can release yourself from the bitterness that you are busy hurting yourself with, and then you can start to flow in the same radical generosity uh, that your Father in heaven flows in, uh, in whatever area that needs to be.